Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 610 in the Twin Cities. It is a chilly 20 degrees. Esme Murphy, along with producer Jonathan Lowe, uh, so much to talk about this week. It's really been an extraordinary week in the news. Um, I was up... Uh, most of the night on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning for the election. Uh, some remarkable results, uh, obviously in Minnesota. I think the DFL party is feeling pretty good right now, but there are certainly questions, I think, going forward with the president clearly doing well in other parts of the country. And the fact is the United States Senate appears to have a stronger Republican majority than it did before. A number of seats still up for grabs, obviously with that, uh, special or that recount in, in Florida, as I said. Uh, but among the remarkable events that happened this week was uh, the White House press conference in which uh, the president tussled with uh, CNN reporter Jim Acosta. Uh, he has been banned this week from the White House. Uh, and there are a lot of questions about going forward, what kind of access the, the news media will have, Will those who have are viewed as having preferential views to the president have greater access? Among those uh, who really is one of the top experts here in the Twin Cities, Jane Kirtley, she is the Silla Professor of Media Ethics and Law and the director of the Silla Center for the Study of Media Ethics and Law. And uh, Professor Kirtley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Esme. It's great to be with you. All right. So – You've been looking at these kinds of things for a long time. I have. Make, make me feel really old. <laughs> I know. Well, so have I. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I remember I happened to be in our assistant news director's office during that news conference. And I remember looking at him and, you know, he looked at me and I was going, Oh my goodness, what is going on here? From your view, what exactly happened this week? Well, your mention of Jim Acosta, I think, is probably the most significant thing. It's it's no secret that he and Trump have sparred on multiple occasions, and and the president has certainly not with you know not tried to disguise his contempt for Jim Acosta. I think that's the word I'd have to use. But lifting his press pass is a big step, and I think, in my own view, not justified. Um, but let's take it one step further. If that's not bizarre enough, and his altercations with several other reporters, uh, including as he was leaving for Paris, uh, you know, telling a reporter she was asking stupid questions, um, the other thing is Sarah Sanders' circulation of the doctored videotape. Videotape, that yes. Press conference. Uh, this is, to me, without precedent. I cannot think, looking back on you know my many, many years watching this, I cannot think of anything comparable that's happened in any White House. And I think it's absolutely beyond the pale. They took that video that was put together by InfoWars, which is notorious 
um, not just for its political viewpoints, but for fabricating things. And uh, they not only did they circulate it, but when challenged on it, they double down and keep insisting that it's accurate. And anyone who was there knows that it, it's not. And you know, I'm sorry. I've, I've been reading comparisons to you know during the Soviet era where photographs were doctored and people were taken out of photographs and so forth. And you know, this is the 21st century version of that. And I see absolutely no way, no matter how you how strongly you support the president, how you can possibly think that it's acceptable for the pre, for the White House to basically be distributing this thing he keeps saying he hates so much, which is fake news. Right. And, and and you bring up a great point because what could be more fake news than a doctored video? And, and clearly it was. And, and, and for those of you who didn't see it, and obviously this happened in the middle of the day, and, and I, you know, I, normally I probably wouldn't even see it, even though I've got like a TV on my desk with, you know, four different screens. But I happened to be in, in my assistant news director's office and, and, you know, Patrick was looking at it and I was looking at it and I was like, Oh my goodness, this, this is insane. And you did have a young woman who was an intern who was, you know, taking the microphone from reporter to reporter. And there was a tussle with Jim Acosta, who is the reporter from CNN. And I, I, I did think that Acosta was, I, I did think that his behavior was not great. Um, I, I, I really do. Just in, in, just the absolute looking at the news conference. At the end of the day, it's the president's news conference. If he slams you down, you know, you know, there are people there who can evaluate that. But the doctoring of the tape was remarkable. But I also think that there's been a record of, of the president really maligning very well-respected journalists, including like Cecilia Vega, yeah. uh, you know, who is a, a female reporter for ABC News, uh, very well-regarded White House reporter. And he called on her and, and he basically said to her, well, you don't think, you, you never think. And, and she said, excuse me? Yeah. And it was completely I mean, these, inappropriate. These attacks, you know, go to the reporter's competence, to their character, to their physical characteristics. I mean, it, it is just not the kind of thing that even in the worst years of the Nixon White House when Spiro Agnew, the vice president, was his, you know, his attack dog, did we see something that sank to this level? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm appalled and I'm, I'm completely gobsmacked by it because we've never seen a president engage in this kind of insulting, gratuitously insulting behavior, which one interpretation could simply be he can't answer these questions, so he just goes on the attack. He doesn't like the questions, that's very clear, but I think on one level he can't answer them. Uh, in no way do I think anyone could suggest that the questions are inappropriate that are being put to him. He just doesn't not want to ask them or answer them. And and so what does he do? He turns on these reporters, and that's their job to ask these questions. And, you know, I've, I've read a lot of uh, reader comments on the Washington Post site, and particularly about Acosta, and there are many people who think that his behavior w- went, you know, crossed a line. And I, you know, I, I, I and, did. I mean, I've been at news conferences where I've been shut down and at the end of the day yes you do have a right to ask a question but it, it is um he is the president of the united states so it, it's his news conference and the, the 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 baton or the the mic had been passed and i don't you know i don't think i'd ever seen 
that side shot before in a White House press conference with this poor young woman who was an intern was having to grab the the mic and, and, and shuttle it around. I guess I'd never seen that angle before. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not saying it was a great optical moment uh, for anybody there, um, but the way it has been framed as you know he was chopping her arm or something. I mean that's just not true. Right. Yes, they were struggling for who was going to control the microphone, and yes, the more gracious thing to do would have been say, "Okay, I'm done," and and give it back. And and I suspect he regrets that he didn't do that, but that is a very different matter from recharacterizing it as it has been. I mean, they've been calling it an assault on that intern, and it clearly was not that. Right. All right. Listen, we have to take a a very quick break. Um, We are chatting with Professor Jane Kirtley. She's the Silver Professor of Media Ethics and Law at the University of Minnesota. And, you know, this is – Professor Kirtley teaches young people about journalism, about, you know, becoming journalists. The University of Minnesota has a very prestigious journalism school and journalism program, both the undergraduate and graduate level. Um, I, I'm, as I said, we're going to take a quick break. I'd love to talk to Professor Kirtley about how do you explain this to, to kids that, that want to become journalists? And, and I'm wondering sort of what their take is on this. So keep it here. News Radio 830 WCCO. <laughs> 622 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you on News Radio 830 WCCO along with producer Jonathan Lowe. We're chatting with Jane Kirtley. She is the Silla Professor of Media Ethics and the Law, the director of the Silla Center for the Study of Media Ethics and the Law. Uh, Professor Kirtley, um, we were talking about the incident involving, uh, the president where he, uh, revoked the, cr- the credentials for Jim Acosta from CNN. He has repeatedly attacked the news media, uh, numerous times and, uh, including Cecilia Vega, who we mentioned earlier, uh, the ABC reporter who he said, you never think. Uh, he also has, um, there also was an attack, obviously, on CNN when those pipe bombs were sent. Some people blame the president for the kind of conversation and the kind of language and, and attacks he has used on the news media. You actually teach young people who, who want to go into this business, this profession. I, I'd love to know what you talk to them about and, and what is their reaction? Well, I mean, here's the interesting thing. I think journalism schools around the country, including ours, had actually seen declining enrollments for people that actually wanted to be journalists. They wanted to do public relations or something like that, but the journalism enrollment was dropping. Well, it's it's gone up again, and I think, uh, quite frankly, this is this has centered people's thoughts on the exact role of the press in in our in our society, and and as a check on governmental excesses, whether we're talking about the president specifically or others in government. So there's a lot of enthusiasm, but I think, you know, the students to some extent are are seeing a mixed message because they see their role. I mean, I teach them in their law classes that their role is constitutionally protected, and yet they hear the president's rhetoric and they see people at his rallies, you know, joining in these cries of enemies of the people and so forth, and, and it's disturbing. Um, and I think in some respects they probably feel more vulnerable than would have been the case 10 years ago where you really in the United States wouldn't think that you had to worry about being physically attacked or having a bomb sent to your house. I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is a, a, a concerning time. I don't want to say it's a scary time, but it's a concerning time to be a journalist because 
the rhetoric has been so uh, so negative and so violent rhetoric as well. I mean, I'm I'm not saying the president is directly responsible for what any of his followers choose to do, but there's no question that rhetoric like that can uh, inspire actions that that are are threatening to people. So. I, I guess I just keep telling my students that they need to know what their legal rights are. Um, they need to stand up for themselves and to bear in mind, and I think this is the thing that is always worth repeating, that ultimately the story is really, we hope, not about them. They are the conduit. They're there to get the story to give to the public so the public can make informed decisions. And so one of the things that really bothers me about these altercations and these press conferences is that it really does turn into, you know, President Trump versus, you know, name the journalist. And that's not really where I think the discussion should be. The question should be, are the journalists being permitted to ask questions and is the president being responsive in his answers or is he not and then we report that and that's where i think our attention should be focused All right let me ask you though professor curley because you you said that 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 the enrollment in journalism schools uh is declining and obviously the university of minnesota one of the best extremely prestigious highly regarded but i you know i wonder especially now um with the level of student debt that that Kids have to take on. And journalism, it, it's a wonderful career, folks. I've, I've done it all my life. It's exciting. It's different every day. It can be frustrating. Yes, it can. But, you know, I still find myself learning and, and, and growing, you know, even for the many years that I have done this and, you know, being exposed to new people. But it, you're not going to get rich doing this. And, and, and that's right. And I think, you know, again, it's certainly not a unique issue for us at the University of Minnesota, the amount of debt that students right. face. And, and their parents say, you know, will my kid get a job when he comes out with his degree? And so one of the things that we try to indicate is that, you know, many of our students do go into journalism, but some of them go to other careers. But the skills that they learn, whether it's critical right. thinking or, you know, being able to assert yourself or to write a clear sentence. I mean, those are skills that can be transferred into many, many professions. And again, I would like my students to stay in journalism because we need new journalists. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be around forever. You're not going to be around forever. <laughs> Absolutely. We need a new generation to, to, to pass the torch to. But, you know, there's no question that um, it, it's not as secure a, a, a profession that it, that it was once was. Right. And, and, and I also think that the burden of student debt is growing so exponentially. And, and, you know, I think you have to look at it and say, you know, well, what kind of a career is my child going to have and how do you balance this? Well, let me so just tough. quickly put in a plug and say that our particular journalism school has huge amounts of scholarships that are available. To there you go. Okay. I mean, we really do. And so that's one of the things we try to point out that, you know, it, it's not even from the university itself. It's from our school specifically. And, you know, students can, can get a lot of money to offset their tuition through our school directly. All right. Well, well and, and that's good to know. And, and it, it's good to know that there are, you know, important schools such as yours that are really are kind of fighting the good fight and, and teaching kids about, you know, what exactly is going on, because this is a really remarkable moment. I, I think, in American history. I, I want them to know that, that their profession is one that is protected by the Constitution, and that gives them great protection, of course, but it also, I think, gives them a great responsibility, and that is to gather this information and give it to the public. And I can't think of a better job.
All right. And, and I, I could not agree with you more. And obviously, you've got the unique perspective because you, you, you teach journalism, but you're also an attorney and, and teach law as well. President Curley, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate your time this evening. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Professor Jane Curley, uh, you know, such a, a fabulous person. Really, uh, you know, a, a great intellect and really the University of Minnesota deserves enormous credit for their program, for the journalism program there, for the work that gets done there. And, and this is something that, that is important. And, you know, I, I know a lot of, and I've got two kids, you know, who are teenagers and, and it's tough because you want them to go into after all the, work through high school and getting into college and, you know, the, the cost of college, it's so exorbitant. You want them to go into a profession that they love, that they care about. And this is a great profession because it is, it's exciting, always challenging, and it's important. And it's one where you can make a difference. But it is something that uh, is increasingly under attack. And also you have to wonder uh, about the salaries that are going to be made. So anyway, uh, thank you to Professor Jane Kirtley. She really is uh, a wonderful guest, and I appreciate her time this evening. All right, we are going to take a break. As May Murphy, along with uh, Jonathan Lowe, our producer, we are going to give you some weather because that's important, folks. Obviously, we all saw the snow. Uh, coming up in our next half hour, we're going to talk about this really scary uh, infectious disease that is it's a polio-like illness Minnesota is one of the states that's been hit. I can't imagine what it's like for, for these families to suddenly be confronted with this. And we're going to talk to an expert about this and, and what the status is, what perhaps, you know, investigations are being done, what kind of treatments are being looked at, and, and what parents, grandparents, and loved ones should know. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is only 20 degrees in the Twin Cities. Oh, my goodness, 6.36 in the evening. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. So much to talk about. Uh, I do want to let you know that in our 8 o'clock hour, we will have a special guest, Stephen Shear, a professor emeritus at Carleton College, uh, will join us. Normally, we have Professor David Schultz. He is off this week. But we're going to talk about the remarkable election that we had. And I was up really late on Tuesday night. Or was it Wednesday morning? It was both. <laughs> And uh, it really is going to be fascinating to see what happens in the next couple of years, but please stay tuned to that. Also, I want to let you know that um, for the past few weeks on WCCO-TV Sunday morning, and I just really want to appreciate everybody who watches WCCO-TV Sunday morning uh, because I, I – you know, whenever I go to the grocery store or get gas, people always talk to me about it. And, uh, you know, or today I was actually selling hot dogs in my daughter's hockey game. And people said, you know, we, we really appreciate you. And it means so much to me. And I just want to really thank you for that. Um, I, I do want to let you know that we're going back to kind of the regular show that, that it was just with me. And I'm so grateful to have Pat Kessler on for uh, the past five or six weeks. But it's going to be um, just the regular 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. show. 10.30 a.m., we have two really special guests, and I could not be more honored by this. Um, the governor-elect of Minnesota, uh, Congressman Tim Walls. Do you call him Congressman Tim Walls or, or governor-elect Tim Walls? Probably both. He's both. Uh, will, will join me to talk about uh, his priorities going forward as the new governor of Minnesota and also, we're also going to be visited by uh, Jennifer Carnahan. She is the chair of the Minnesota Republican Party. 
And the Republican Party did switch a couple of seats. They did flip the 1st District and the 8th District. But what are they going to do going forward? Because yet again, there were no Republicans elected to statewide offices in Minnesota. So again, please tune in to WCCO-TV Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. I'm very honored to have the governor-elect of Minnesota, Tim Walls, and also the Republican Party chair, Jennifer Carnahan, join me. All right. Right now, we are going to talk about a very scary illness that that we all have been reporting on. And, you know, you have to think – I mean my my children are are older teenagers now, but I I look at these cases. I look at these stories and this is such a frightening thing. It is a polio-like illness. It is called AFM uh, and it has hit here in Minnesota and children suddenly – seemingly having sort of cold or maybe even flu-like symptoms are paralyzed and, and, and the rehabilitation to get them back to where they were has, has taken so long in so many cases. Uh, very honored to have Dr. Shane McAllister. He is a pediatric infectious disease pediatrician at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital. Uh, Dr. McAllister, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good right. evening, Ms. Murphy. How are you? Absolutely. And please feel free to call me, Esme. Everybody does. Um, uh, Dr. McAllister, l- let me ask you, what is the status here? Because I, I can't imagine, uh, as-, as a parent, having a child get sick. And, and we all know kids get sick, and they, they get the high fevers, and it's it's scary Indeed. stuff. But But to have something like this happen, it, it must be just... Horrifying. It's terrifying. No, it really is terrifying. Um, you, you, we, we talk about children who, who wake up in the morning looking fine and normal, um, <clears throat> going to school, and then you know developing cold or flu-like symptoms, and then over the course of hours or days, um, losing the ability to use their arms or legs. Um, it, it, it really is terrifying, and uh, but it is rare. Let's 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 yes. be clear about that. It is rare, thankfully. Um, but but let me ask you this, um, and all of us who've had small children know that, that, that you know, suddenly like 103 temperature while high is not out of the question. Wise for, for an adult, that, that's pretty darn unusual. But but what are some of the things that parents and, and loved ones should look out for, or, or is there any warning? Uh, so you know, I have a, a son myself. Uh, he's 18 months old, and he is in daycare, and so he has a runny nose. Um, most days of the week, I will tell you that. Um, And so, unfortunately, there's nothing additional that I can recommend that people look for other than a change in their children's ability to move, whatever that is. But that comes on so quickly, Dr. McAllister, right? It does come on very quickly, yes. Unfortunately, it is quite rapid. And so what we're looking for are quick changes in behavior, um, and and anyone who notices that in their child um, should seek medical attention immediately. Um, and Dr. McAllister, when when so the symptoms and and you you've got a, a small child in daycare, and I'm sure that there are thousands of people listening to us who are, can relate to that. You you got the runny nose, and it's it's difficult. But but what what are some of the things that, that parents maybe should be able to look out for? Or is there anything? Because it seems like it's happening so fast. It does happen very quickly. You know, my, my recommendation to all parents is, you know, uh, good hygiene. You know, this is most likely a virus that is spread um, by 
it's probably a respiratory virus. So it's a, it's a cold or a flu-like virus. So it's spread in the air. And so my recommendation is that people are very careful about covering their coughs, washing their hands regularly. You know, the, the good like hygiene practices that prevent a lot of infections. We don't unfortunately know exactly which virus this is yet. Right. Um, which is very frustrating. Um, and so, of course, we don't we don't have a vaccine for it at this point. Um, right. But it really is important that people are aware of how they can prevent spread of infection, okay. which, again, covering cough and, and, and good hand hygiene. Right. Uh, and Dr. McAllister, again, is a pediatric infectious disease uh, at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, one of the, our, our mm-hmm. great and fabulous uh, facilities here in the Twin Cities. When you let me ask you this, because I know that that, that pediatricians and and doctors, uh, you know, and, and doctors for adults as well, are urging people to get the flu vaccine. Obviously, that that doesn't make any difference here, right? It's it's unlikely. The, the current issue that we're talking about is unlikely to be related to flu. But I will always be a big supporter of the flu vaccine. I get it myself. My family gets it. My child gets it. Um, it's the time of year when we should be, uh, all of us should be getting that vaccine. Um, It's very important for other public health concerns, but not directly related to the current issue that we're talking about. And and Dr. McAllister, I mean, we get, our children get inoculated against polio, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, and and which one, which one is that? Because I know it's it's been a long time since I've had a baby, but, you know, and I know for for new parents, it's, a little overwhelming because these children are so tiny and you know it, it they get so be, many it can be scary yes and and nobody likes nobody likes to watch their their cute little baby being you know poked with a needle it really is it really is difficult to watch i i believe in vaccines i am a big proponent of vaccinating um and uh, but i will tell you that it was stressful <laughs> it's right. stressful to hold my own child and have him vaccinated um but yes we, we we do have a very excellent polio vaccine um and and actually thankfully we don't see polio in the US um any longer but and which one is no, that is that which one is when did they did the children get that one the polio vaccine is given um is is very early 2 4 6 months Okay. Um, it's it's part of the it's part of the routine, um, you know, infant um, vaccination series. Right. And, and but you I do know, want to stress that there's there's no evidence so far that this is actually polio. Um, right. It's it. Some of the children have symptoms that are reminiscent of true poliomyelitis. Um, but I, I do want to stress that this is not um, this is not a failure of the polio vaccine. This is. This is right. something different, but perhaps related. And so right. I mean, we're all hoping to have more information on what's actually happening very soon. Right. And Dr. McAllister, I, I do want to say this. You know, I, I, I have talked to so many physicians and they all say what you say, that the vaccines are so important for children. And, and I, I think that there is a lot of misinformation and fear out there and, and all you, you folks, you, you've gone spent years in, in medical school. Your parents, yourselves, and, and you're advocating for this. And and I have always deferred to my uh, physician's judgment on on my children's vaccines because 
I, I want the best for them, and I, I don't want them to get some of these illnesses. And, and I know that that's – it appears to be a growing problem where, where, where people are forgoing some of these vaccines or, or, or delaying them. Or delaying them, yes, I commend you. You have a you have an audience that listens to you and right. trusts you, and I, I really thank you for right. for being an advocate for for vaccinations. Um, you know, my I've experienced many many conversations with concerned parents over the years of my career, um, and I would say that that my my approach has has changed now that I'm a father finally, um, and and I, I I try to I try to lead with that. Listen, right. This is the, the I, I understand. Well, the fact I think the fact that you're doing it for your child, you know, with all that you've learned and all that you've studied, I, I think speaks for itself to me. You know, you you went to medical school, you, you're practicing, and you choose to to give your children these vaccinations. I think that speaks volumes. I hope that uh, yes, yeah, trying to lead by example, <laughs> indeed. All right. Um, let me ask you about um, this again. This particular the AFM because Minnesota has gotten it. Um, th- there have been cases here. There have been cases in 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 many other states as well. Is there any commonality to the cases, or is that just one of the mysteries here? It's one of the mysteries. Um, we know that it's mostly striking people under 18, so it, it does seem to be particularly children who are at risk for developing this. Many of the children, uh, uh, many of the confirmed cases in children um, were preceded by cold or flu-like symptoms, um, but there does not just seem to be any race or socioeconomic stratification. It seems to be striking children across all um, classifications. Um, and so it, it really, unfortunately, it does remain a big mystery. Um, what virus are we dealing with? And why are these particular children getting so ill so quickly? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, many of them are recovering. Um, but unfortunately, there, are, there really are a lot of unknowns still. Right. And, and I've seen some stories where, where some of these children have not recovered quickly. There have... Yes, there, there. Unfortunately, there have been some um, cases that were quite devastating. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Well, Doctor McAllister, what would you what would you advise parents, and and what would you tell them? Um, just as a parent yourself, obviously as a pediatrician with uh, University of Minnesota's Masonic Children's Hospital. You know, the most important thing is to be paying attention to your children, and if they start behaving differently than you expect if they're not walking the way that they normally do or they're they're not reaching for a cup as they normally do uh, seek medical attention early seek medical attention early that's that's really okay. the, the the most important thing i could say so there, if there's any question about your child's mobility or stiffness seek immediate attention Call, call your pediatrician. That's what they're there for. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. Right. And, and is there any indication that, that an earlier intervention might help in terms of the treatment? Because there's really no treatment, right? There's no specific treatment identified yet because we don't know which virus we're dealing with. Right. Um, there are things that we can do. There are things that we try. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And maybe when maybe when they do work, it's because 
the child would have been fine no matter what. Uh, unfortunately, we're dealing with a, a lot of unknowns. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I do want to ask you, like, you know, I know that, that Senator Amy Klobuchar has called on the CDC, along with, with a number of other legislators, to, to do immediate research and, and target this and look at this. Is there, as far as you're concerned, enough research going on? And I suppose that probably doesn't help the, the poor family that's trying to deal with this at this very moment. Yeah, that's that's the problem with medical research. It's um, it it it, all, it often does not help in real time. But um, I do I support the efforts of the CDC, and I'm definitely um, very thankful to Senator Klobuchar for her support of medical research in the state and and in the country generally. Um, it's um, unfortunately it's it's it doesn't help in real time. It's it's something that we hopefully in in flu seasons to come. Um, we'll have something to offer in advance. Right now, we're we're playing catch up right now because we're trying to figure out what's going on. Right. Well, it is it is a great mystery. And, and Dr. McAllister, I certainly appreciate your perspective, both as a pediatrician and, and also uh, and an ex- expert on infectious diseases, and also as a parent. Thank you so much for your time, Doctor. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Shane McAllister, he is a pediatric infectious disease pediatrician at the U of M Masonic Children's Hospital, one one of the great hospitals that we have here uh, for kids and obviously so many great hospitals here uh, for adults as well. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, Esme Murphy along with producer Jonathan Lowe. Quick break. Uh, We'll be back after this. Hi, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Great to be back here on a Saturday night, a chilly Saturday night, 20 degrees. How did this happen so quickly? I just, yikes, snow, 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 snow. But, you know, I know a lot of us love the snow. I know that a lot of snowmobilers are hoping for a great season on all those fabulous trails, a lot of skiers, a lot of cross-country skiers. It just, I wasn't quite there yet. Um but anyway, it, it, it's great to see. I do want to invite you again to tune in to uh, WCCO-TV Sunday morning. It's back to the old show, uh, just moi, just me, um, 6 a.m. Or actually, I shouldn't – my big apologies to Micah Gustinak because Micah Gustinak, uh, who does such an awesome job uh, on WCCO with his weathercast, his forecasts, uh, really somebody who really crunches the numbers, really works over all the models – does an awesome job with forecasting. He's on at 6 a.m., also 10.30 a.m. And then at 10.30 a.m., uh, I'm really honored again to have the governor-elect of Minnesota, uh, Congressman Tim Walls, and he is also going to do a Facebook Live on WCCO.com Facebook page at 11 a.m. So that'll be great, great to go through. And so please tune in. And then if you want to ask him a question, you can tune into our WCCO Facebook page. And also... Uh, the chair of the Minnesota Republican Party, Jennifer Carnahan. Uh, so I appreciate uh, both of their time uh, uh, tomorrow morning, and it's going to be great to check out. And uh, hopefully not too much snow so we can make it there. It'll be great. Um, coming up, we actually are going to be joined by another pediatrician. I don't know if any of you saw this. It's a new study on spanking. All right, folks, how many of you out there have either – or either spanked as a child, I will raise my hand. 
How many of you have spanked a child? I have, not very often, uh, but it did happen occasionally. And the new study from the American Academy of Pediatrics, Pediatrics says this is an absolute no-no, that you shouldn't have done it. So we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Eric Barth. He is a pediatrician at Alina Health about that because I know this is a very controversial topic. So keep it here, folks. Uh, you are listening on this very chilly Saturday night to News Radio 830 WCCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.